We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Don't you find respectable people terribly dull? The year, 1932. The movie, Shanghai Express, starring Marlena Dietrich. It took more than one man to change my name to Shanghai Lily. And acting alongside the German screen siren, and every bit as cool, 27-year-old Anna Mae Wong. I must confess, I don't quite know the standard of respectability that you demand in your boarding house. In the movie, both actresses play women of ill repute. But it was Wong's performance that was publicly denounced by the Chinese media for bringing shame on her race. The government has offered a price of 20000 for his capture, alive or dead. That was the movie that took my breath away, that she was just unapologetic. You better get her out of there. Anna Mae Wong had already run a gauntlet of social and legal obstacles to become Hollywood's very first Chinese-American star. She was extremely beautiful. She was what today we would call a fashionista. Even so, she was usually consigned to playing either the self-sacrificing Lotus Blossom or the devious Dragon Lady. She always had to die. It always had to be dramatic, and it always had to be very tragic. The blood is mine. The hate is mine. The vengeance shall be mine. Hollywood's censorship code prohibited her from even kissing any male co-star who was white. As she herself was quoted in one interview, No film lovers can ever marry me. If they got an American actress to slant her eyes and eyebrows and wear a stiff black wig and dress in Chinese culture, it would be all right. But me? I am really Chinese. So I must always die in the movies so that the white girl with the yellow hair may get the man. But in Shanghai Express, she didn't die. And the movie itself killed at the box office, becoming the highest grossing film of the year. And Anna Mae Wong was already being talked about as the lead for one of the biggest epics Hollywood would make. The Good Earth, based on the smash hit novel of the same name, was the vehicle Wong had been waiting for. If cast, it would propel her into the first rank of film actresses. Everybody in Los Angeles knew that this was gonna be the biggest movie ever. That her name was even being mentioned was a sign of how far she'd come. So who was Anna Mae Wong? I do think that Anna Mae Wong just had certain star quality. She seemed to be very comfortable in her skin. And here she is being comfortable in her own skin when there's no one who looks like her on screen. That's the thing that is really hard to imagine because she was a true pioneer in that she couldn't look to anyone and say, 
I want to be like this person. She really had to forge her own path. From CBS Sunday Morning and Simon & Schuster, I'm Moraka, and this is Mobituaries. This moment, Anna Mae Wong. February 3rd, 1961. Death of a trailblazer. So I was in my mid-twenties, pretty new to New York, and I was taking a workshop on auditioning for musical theater. The teacher assigned me a comedic number called The Butler Song from a long-forgotten musical. Who's calling, please? Ah, Miss Garbo. It's sung by a butler who's explaining why his master can't come to the phone. No, he can't call you back at 5.30. At 5.30, he humps Alice Faye. As he proceeds to mention pretty much every screen goddess from Hollywood's golden age. Then Gina Harlow at 7, Mae West at 11, and somewhere between them... The song is basically one long sex joke. It's funny, in a pre-Me Too era kind of way. Anyway, some of the names I knew, some I didn't. The one that really popped out? Just before Anna Mae Wong. Anna Mae Wong. Her name was so melodic, it had to be made up. In fact, she was given the name Lute Song when she was born in Los Angeles in 1905. It means frosted yellow willow. At that time, L.A.'s population of immigrant and American-born Chinese was about 3,000. But the young girl was very much a minority within a minority. It's about one woman for every 20 men. Whoa! Yeah. You've described it, I think, as a bachelor society. It was considered a bachelor society. Lisa C. is the best-selling author of On Gold Mountain, about her own Chinese-American family. Not many children, not many little girls. So these little girls were seen as very precious. There were all kinds of rules about girls. What you know, kind? That, well, they shouldn't be seen on the street. They shouldn't be seen with their bare arms and legs. They shouldn't learn to roller skate. They shouldn't bicycle. The second of seven children born to Sam Sing Wong and his wife, Lee Gon Toy, she was soon going by the name Anna. Hi, Hi. welcome. Come Maraca. On in. Nice to meet you. I'm Amy Wong Martinez. Amy Wong Martinez is the daughter of Anna Mae Wong's youngest brother. She was born after her famous aunt died, but she grew up in a house filled with her memorabilia. She would do these little holiday cards. She would have them made up. It's really beautiful. Greetings from my country and my people and Anna Mae Wong. Anna Mae's father that would be Amy's grandfather, was a laundryman. It really wasn't a laundromat with the machines. It was, of course, him doing laundry, you know, by hand. And it was one of the skills that the Chinese could do, a Chinese man could do, because it was viewed as female work. And so it wasn't really a threat. 
to other men for him to set up a business like that. And it was in Chinatown? Uh, just outside. Just a few blocks, it turned out, from Chinatown. But that short distance proved crucial in shaping her outlook. Here's historian Shirley Lim, author of Anime Wong, Performing the Modern. Does that make a difference, do you think, in terms of her experience? Absolutely. A lot of her father's customers were not people of Chinese descent. So she's grown up interacting with um, Mexican-Americans, European-Americans, people outside of Chinatown. And as she was growing up, the motion picture industry was moving to Los Angeles. And young Anna Mae had a front row seat to all the action. She's seeing movies on the street. She would deliver laundry bundles and she'd save up the tip money to go to the movies herself. It's so evocative. It really is. Like so many young American women of her generation, going to movies was, you know, a way to escape, to dream, to think about the future, to think about oneself. And although Anna Mae was a third-generation American... If you were Chinese, you couldn't sit in the main part of the theater. You had to sit up in the balcony. So she would take whatever money she had, you know, buy a ticket, go sit up there in the balcony as a very young girl. And then to think, oh, I want to be in that. To do this, you know, she's sneaking out, right? Right. She's sneaking out, and it's a pretty big family. She has brothers and sisters. So she's sneaking out, going to the movies, going to be on movie sets. Amy Wong Martinez's mother, Carol Wong, says that growing up, Anna May had a key ally. Her mothers really know everything what she's doing. She's protecting her. And she sometimes don't even go to school and go see a movie. The mother knows, but the father <sighs> don't know. From what you understand, Anna May's mother kind of was really backing her up. Yeah, yeah. But Anna Mae Wong's father was less than pleased with his daughter's show business ambitions. Here's what she said to one newspaper reporter, as read by actress Jennifer Lim. My father objected so strongly to my desire to appear in pictures that we were all ill. My quiet little mother let us fight it out, and in the end, I won. It was the first great battle for my career. As a teenager, Anna Mae found work as an extra, then got bit parts. And when she was just 17 years old, she starred in the silent film The Toll of the Sea. Hollywood's first Technicolor movie, it was a take on the Madame Butterfly story, but set in China instead of Japan. She plays Lotus Flower, a young girl who rescues an American who washes up on the shore of her village. They marry, she has his child, and he promptly abandons her, only to return to her village with his new Caucasian wife. A heartbroken lotus flower gives up their son before drowning herself. And that's how pretty much any movie that saw an Asian ingenue finding love with a white man had to end, with the Asian woman dying. But as hokey as the plot may sound to us today, Anime Wong is really good in it. As opposed to so much silent film acting, her performance is modern in its restraint, communicating so much with simple looks. Her eyes are so big and expressive. 
Variety called her an exquisite crier. And I have to say, her ability to cry on cue and look beautiful while doing it is Demi Moore in ghost level good. And remember, she was just 17. How significant was it that her first starring role was in a very traditional role in Toll of the Sea? So movie audiences probably assumed she was Chinese-born, that maybe she didn't even speak English. Yes, absolutely. People could read so much into her because it is a silent film. And at the time, people could read her as Chinese, not American. Anna Mae followed up that traumatic turn with a supporting role in the 1924 epic, The Thief of Baghdad. The Star Wars of its day, audiences were wowed, both by the movie's special effects. It ends with a swashbuckling Douglas Fairbanks flying off on a magic carpet. And by the sensuality of Anime Wong's scheming and scantily clad Mongol slave girl character. I watched the scene where Anna Mae is confronted by a shirtless, knife-wielding Fairbanks with comedian Margaret Cho. She's like really in that classic um, Carrie Fisher um, Jabba the Hutt outfit, Slave Leia, and she would fit in right in Comic-Con today. Perfect. I mean, in the 1920s, I mean, people in audiences must have been like... It's racy. It's very sexy. It's very revealing. He's like, he's all bronzed up and shirtless and muscular and she's... She's in this little bikini, but it's Slave Leia. Early adopter Slave Leia outfit. She looks great. And the hair is very strange. It's got these weird wire braids. I asked Amy and Carol Wong about Anna Mae's appearance in the movie. It's kind of racy. Yes. It's very sexy. She can pull it off. (laughs) She certainly can pull it off. Do we know what her own parents thought of that? Well, her father don't know what to think. I think maybe a little bit sim. A little bit what? Ashamed. Lisa C. explains why Anna Mae's father might have felt ashamed. In Chinese culture, actors, particularly women who are acting, that seem like being a courtesan, like being a prostitute. It has these very, very low connotations to it. It's not somebody you'd want to have over for dinner. An actress is on a spectrum with a courtesan, with a prostitute. Right. right, well, because of what they do. You know, if you think of courtesans as playing instruments, as singing, as dancing, they do other things too, but they are these kind of entertainers. But there was no putting the genie back in the bottle. Soon, Anna Mae Wong was rubbing shoulders with Charlie Chaplin and silent film star Norma Talmadge at the groundbreaking of Grauman's Chinese Theater. But after her early on-screen successes, she was only getting offered marginal roles as an exotic Oriental. And so when an opportunity to work in Europe presented itself, she jumped at the chance. In America, they wouldn't star me because they said they could never find enough stories for me. I am not limited to Chinese parts. I can play any type of Oriental or even Eskimos. When Anna Mae Wong could not get the roles that she wanted to get in Hollywood in 1928, she goes off to Berlin. In Europe, she learned to speak German and French and acted in both languages. It's been most interesting to master what formerly seemed like an impossibility. 
but we sometimes even surprise ourselves at what we can do. Yup, that's Anime Wong singing in German. During her time overseas, she cemented her status as an international movie star and as a fashion icon. Throughout her career, she'd be photographed by her friend Carl Van Vakten, gamely playing with different looks and attitudes, dressed in a tuxedo, or with hair dyed blonde, or with barely any clothes at all. She was extremely beautiful. She was what today we would call a fashionista. You know, she was dressed like no one else. She had her special, you know, hairstyle, which was imitated by many people, including Edith Head, costume designer. One of her biggest successes during these years was in a British film called Piccadilly. Playing a nightclub dishwasher who becomes a star, it was another slinky Chinese vamp role. Still, one reviewer wrote, From the moment Miss Wong dances in the kitchen's rear, she steals Piccadilly. And while in London, she acted on stage opposite a young Laurence Olivier. Reviewers panned her American accent. But what she does, she hires elocution accent coaches so that she can adopt this upper crust world English sort of British accent, which then enables her to transition to the talkies. I cannot, I cannot tell him anything you like. Say what you will. I do not care. I shall not go. Yes, long before Madonna got herself an English accent, Anna Mae Wong had one. Now that we're here, you do not regret. You? Don't talk nonsense. I think it. And you believe that I came because I love you, that I did not just wish to be free like a bad woman who gives herself for a price. And by 1930, Paramount Pictures came calling. As the LA Times reported, Anna Mae Wong, Oriental actress, came back to Hollywood with an English accent. When your husband left you, did he inform you where he was going? No, but I fancied it was on a matter of business. He was a man very precise in his habits. When midnight came and there was no sign of him, I became rather alarmed. Midnight would be a late hour for him. Very. It wasn't just her accent that made her sound distinctive. Her voice also had a weight and a depth to it that allowed her successfully to make the transition to talkies when so many other silent film stars were, well, silenced for good. You're so unlike all my previous conceptions of the Chinese. You've always thought of us as wearing pigtails and with eyes like two slits. I'm afraid that's true. You still think of us as they caricatured us 50 years ago. Now, Anna Mae Wong may have been coming back to America an even bigger star, but America was still a country that denied full rights to any citizens of Chinese descent. Here's some background on that. Only a half century before, the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 became the first law in American history restricting members of a specific ethnic group from entering the United States. That act virtually ended legal immigration from China. It was part of the backlash to the influx of Chinese immigrants who came to America during the gold rush 
and to provide cheap labor during the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. A fear of the so-called Yellow Peril soon gripped America, with newspapers hysterically warning of the economic and moral danger posed by these invaders. Here is author Lisa C. again. That people saw Chinese as dirty, they're going to pollute our women, they eat strange things, and then the, the big three, gambling, opium, and prostitution. Not surprisingly, violence against the Chinese spread across the country. They were loaded onto rafts and sent adrift into the ocean in Rock Springs, Wyoming. They were literally just burned out of the Chinatown in Tucson, tied to the backs of steers and sent into the desert to die. And in 1871 in Los Angeles, 18 Chinese laborers were lynched by an angry mob. This wasn't ancient history in Anna May's time. Well into the 20th century, Chinese Americans faced limits on property ownership. Anna Mae Wong may have been a star in Hollywood, but she wasn't allowed to buy a house in Beverly Hills. And anti-miscegenation laws in many states prohibited marriage between whites and people of other races, including Asians. There were states that had laws against Chinese and white people marrying. Mm -hmm. And here in California, that law lasted until 1948. And then there were the travel restrictions. Whenever she would leave the country, and she was a huge traveler. I mean, she went to Europe, she went to Asia, she went to Australia. If the rest of my stay in Australia will be as pleasant and happy as today has been, I know that I shall enjoy every moment of it. To the many Chinese who are listening in, May I say, Every time she left the country and every time she came back into the country, she'd be interrogated. Yes, anytime Americans of Chinese descent wanted to travel overseas, they had to apply for re-entry into the United States to prove that they were indeed Americans. Is it almost though like she was an American citizen with an asterisk? Yes, I think that's true. Hollywood's censorship rules reflected the law of the land. The Hayes Code of 1930 formalized the rules prohibiting kissing or even the hint of romance between whites and non-whites that Anna Mae Wong had faced earlier in her career. Back then, you weren't even allowed to kiss a white man on screen. By the time I was acting, when I was a young woman, I remember saying to my husband, I just want to do one job where I don't have to kiss someone. Rosalind Chow played Corporal Maxwell Klinger's South Korean wife, Soon Lee, in the sitcoms M.A.S.H. and After M.A.S.H. Why not take it easy and stay home? Take it easy? At home, all I do is clean this place, scrub the floor. Yeah, but that's on your hands and knees, not on your feet. <laughs> you're jealous. And she was one of the stars in 1993's hit film, The Joy Luck Club, a landmark for Asians in Hollywood. Chow's character, Rose, was married to Ted, a white man, played by Andrew McCarthy. It's our house. We agreed to sell it. You're not taking my house. You're not taking my daughter. You're not taking any part of me. It's the kind of role Anna Mae Wong wasn't allowed to play. 
here she is, a leading lady. She's not allowed to kiss a white co-star. That's like fighting really with both hands tied behind your back if you're trying to make a career as a leading as lady. As a sex symbol and right. leading lady. It's, um, it's quite the magic act that she was able to bring a certain sensuality and, and weight to the screen and never be able to express it with a co-star. Are you going to marry him? Perhaps someday. But you don't love him. I certainly do. But you are not uh, in love with him. I certainly am. Oh, methinks the lady does protest too much. Come on, the truth. I don't trust people who quote Shakespeare so glibly. And Hollywood always seemed to have new ways of reminding Anna May of her status. I made a test at Metro-Golden-Mayer Studios for the leading role in The Sun-Daughter, the Chinese play David Belasco produced years ago with Lenore Ulrich. I guess I look too Chinese to play it Chinese, because I hear Colleen Moore is going to do it, although no definite decision has been made. Colleen Moore didn't get the role. It went to Helen Hayes, and for the record, neither actress was Chinese. Anna May did lend a hand during the production. Here's Shirley Lim. So there's actually this really interesting photograph of Anna May Wong on the MGM set teaching a Chinese handshake. You're kidding. So she ended up, I mean, boy, that's yes. that's a sport if ever there were one. I mean, she's not in the movie. She's not in the movie. She's just essentially helping them portray an Asian person. To be clear, Hollywood was producing movies with Asian characters, some of them big lead, even romantic characters. But the best of those roles weren't going to Asian actors. You may not know the name Warner Oland. He was a Swedish actor, and tens of millions went to the movies to see him as Detective Charlie Chan. Hasty accusation, like long shot on horse race. Odds good, but chances doubtful. He also played the evil Fu Manchu in Daughter of the Dragon. In the 20 years I have fought to live, the thought of killing you and your son has been my dearest nurse. <laughs> What's called Yellow Face was donned by him and many actors you probably have heard of. Mary Pickford, Edward G. Robinson, Peter Lorre, Marlon Brando, Myrna Loy, Rita Moreno. Even John Wayne wore Yellow Face when he played Genghis Khan. I share your taste in women, Target Ty, but not in blood. And here's Katherine Hepburn as Jade Tan in 1944's Dragon Seed. How can I teach him mercy when he was either kill first or be killed? 1961's Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mr. I protest! An otherwise beloved classic is marred by Mickey Rooney's yellow-faced portrayal of Mr. Unioshi. All the time a disturbance! I cannot sleep! I got to get to my rest. I'm an artist. Don't be angry, you dear little man. I won't do it again. The practice lasted well beyond then. But back in the early 1930s, Anna Mae Wong was in a category of her own. Chinese-American, yes, but a bona fide star. So when MGM decided to adapt Pearl S. Buck's Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, The Good Earth, Anna Mae Wong finally saw a role worthy of her talent. 
everybody in Los Angeles knew that this was going to be the biggest movie ever. $2 million, MGM, Los Angeles's Desert Hills transformed into rice paddies. And it was supposed to be made in a way that resonated with the American Depression-era audiences. So a very sympathetic and positive portrayal of Chinese peasants. The film version of the family struggles of Wang Lung and his wife Olan was anticipated in much the same way that Gone with the Wind would be later in the decade. And the casting of the movie was a saga all its own. Early on in 1932, the Los Angeles Times hinted that Anna Mae Wong was a lock to play Olan. She would, of course, have to be cast opposite an Asian male to conform with the production code. Two years later, the paper reported, The Good Earth Compass now points very strongly towards Anna Mae Wong. Here's actress Rosalind Chow again. I tried to look for her screen test for it because legend has it that it was phenomenal. But then, by the end of 1934, gossip columnist Luella Parsons reported that Wong refused to make any more tests for Good Earth or any other pictures just to prove she can look Chinese. As Anna Mae told Parsons, I know I look Chinese, and so does everyone else. Her fate was sealed when Austrian actor Paul Muni was cast as the male lead. Ultimately, Louise Reiner, who was born in Germany and raised in Austria, was cast as Olan. From all appearances, Ms. Reiner is definitely set for the part of Olan. No use bucking up against a stone wall. Reiner was Hollywood's newest sensation. She was considered a great actress, but have I mentioned she was Austrian? A small cash, a coin you throw away. Feed a starving child. When Paul Muni landed his role, he reportedly said, I'm about as Chinese as Herbert Hoover. My father knew years of famine, but he kept the land. I must keep it for my sons. Anna Mae was invited to audition for the supporting role of Lotus, the younger second wife of Wang Long. But studio notes described the then 30-year-old as, quote, a little disappointing as to looks. I have to sit here shutting all day. If I stir out, they whisper and look at me hatefully. That role went to actress Tilly Losh, strangely enough, another Austrian. This is a years-long saga, and anime Wong, I mean, this is the brass ring. This is the thing that's going to make her the star that she deserves to be. You must be able to empathize with that. Absolutely, from... Anna Mae Wong's point of view, it must have just been heart-wrenching because at that point, she wasn't an ingenue anymore and she'd already made a name for herself. But that wasn't enough to overcome the ignorance and racism of that era, I guess. The movie opened to rave reviews in 1937. Great honor to Award for the best performance of 1937 for your work in Thank you very much. Louise Reiner went on to win an Oscar for her performance. Had Anime Wong received one of the leading roles, she would probably still be a household name today. 
it was a crushing disappointment. But Anna Mae Wong wasn't about to throw herself into the ocean. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Now, here is the reason why I have been so interested in Anime Wong for so many years. So instead of crying, sitting on her ass, sulking, going, woe is me, she made her first and only trip to China. Historian Shirley Lim is describing how Anna Mae Wong responded after she wasn't cast in The Good Earth. 1936, she hires a cinematographer and actually ends up making her own film about China, which is a Chinese-American woman's perspective on China versus MGM's Hollywood, Hollywood Chinese version of the Chinese peasant. In her film about China, which she narrated, My first address in China was the Cafe Hotel. Here I'm greeted by relatives, friends. Anna Mae Wong learns Mandarin. She goes for a fitting for a traditional Chinese dress called the Cheng Sam. And the next stop is Mr. Luk Dong Chong. He takes a piece of string and he ties a knot for each measurement. Now, how he can tell which knot is what knot, I know not. (laughs) She's quippy. She's funny. The countryside is very much like the Philippines and parts of California. Many palm trees, papayas, mangoes. In other words, the Chinese always believe in planting something. It gives them something to eat. And she visits her father, who had moved to China after Anna Mae's mother had died in a car accident. This is one of my favorite pictures of my father. He was so happy that day to be surrounded with his family from the west and the east. There's a lovely shot in the documentary where she sort of walks off mm-hmm. into the sunset with her father. I like to compare it to gone with the wind with, um, you know, Scarlett O'Hara and her father looking over the plantation fields at Tara with, you know, the sun setting. You can almost hear the music swell. Da, 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 da. Yes, da, da, I hear it. I hear da, it in my head. Da, da, da. Although I've been to many, many places in the world, this first and only trip I made to China was the most meaningful But she wasn't received as warmly in China as she may have hoped. At one banquet, she was publicly excoriated by a series of speakers for the image she had projected of Chinese womanhood. They made speeches that lasted for four hours. They all took turns berating me for the roles I played. Since I didn't speak Mandarin, I had to answer them in English. I told them that when a person is trying to get established in a profession, she can't choose parts. She has to take what is offered. I said I had come to China to learn, and that I hoped I would be able to interpret our country in a better light. It probably didn't help that she was single. 
From virtually the start of her career, she'd been asked if and when she planned to get married. I try not to think of romance or marriage. If love comes to me, I shall take it to my family and see what they think. But I hope that it will not come for a long time. I hope that I shall make a great success first. That I shall have enjoyed my career and provided for my family. She was rumored to have had affairs, but she never did marry. Lisa C. points out that any realistic prospects were complicated by those anti-miscegenation laws. If she follows the law, who's out there that's at her level? She could marry a Chinese man. Right, but who's at her level? Sure. There are a few Chinese who are doing well, but not very many. I mean, so what are the other options then? Is she really going to marry a laundryman like her father? Is she going to marry somebody who washes dishes in a restaurant? So it's not like there were many sort of peer-to-peer people that she could marry within the Chinese community, but I think even beyond that, what would have been expected of her as a Chinese wife to live in seclusion, to not be seen on the street, to have a lot of children and babies, and that I don't think was going to be for her. Here's Amy Wong Martinez again. Can you imagine her? Honey, breakfast is ready. <laughs> her ability to have to strive for her career and make a career, I think that was more of a priority for her than finding true love or a traditional marriage. When she returned to the U.S., she found better roles in B-movies. Gee, I'm sure glad that's over, Dr. Ling. I don't know how you do it. Here I am shaking like a jitterbug and your hands aren't even trembling. The first thing you've got to learn is not to let your hands tremble if you want to be a good surgeon. In The King of Chinatown, she plays a surgeon, a rarity for an actress of any race at the time. It's amazing he's still alive. He had to live. Do you know him personally? No. He was just another emergency. And in Daughter of Shanghai, a terrific movie, she and an FBI agent played by Korean-American actor Philip Ahn helped break up an illegal smuggling operation. Let the authorities handle this, Miss Kwan. I've seen how the authorities handle things. First there's great excitement. An arrest is expected in a few days. And in a few days everything's forgotten until someone else is murdered. And despite her mixed experience in China... When Japan launched an attack on China in 1937, Anna Mae Wong threw herself into fundraising on behalf of the beleaguered Chinese. She was quite political, what today we would call an activist, but at that time was pretty rare. When Japan invades China in the lead up to World War II, the rest of the world really didn't care too much, but she cared, and the Chinese-American community cared. And so she was one of the big fundraisers. She traveled all around the country raising money. Then, after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in December of 1941, China's plight became America's cause. Anna May contributed her talents to propaganda films like Bombs Over Burma, and The Lady from Chungking, where she played the part of the Chinese heroine battling the ruthless Japanese foe. You cannot kill me. You cannot kill China. Not even a million deaths could crush the soul of China. We shall live on until the enemy is driven back over scorched land and hurled into the sea. 
and she visited with American troops across the country. We had genuine American chop suey in the mess hall for lunch today. I nearly disrupted the service when I pulled out my chopsticks. During one wartime Christmas, she made a tour of air bases in Nebraska. And all the boys were so appreciative that it really did something to my morale, too. Spent the time having mess with the boys and visiting sick cases in hospitals, and made a brief address in the camp theater. Two of the camps had large troops of colored soldiers, and they had their own canteen, theater, and mess halls, at which bases I made a double tour. So when Madame Chiang Kai-shek, the charismatic wife of Chinese nationalist leader Chiang Kai-shek, came to Hollywood to raise money for the war effort, it seemed a no-brainer that America's most famous Chinese-American would be included in the star-studded fundraiser. Huge throngs pack Hollywood's famous bowl to see and hear Madame Chiang Kai-shek. On April 4th, 1943, a record crowd of 30,000 gathered at the Hollywood Bowl. Henry Fonda and Spencer Tracy gave introductory remarks. Judy Garland, Rita Hayworth, Shirley Temple, and Ginger Rogers stood for the American and Chinese national anthems. Chinese American soldiers proudly serve as guards of honor. And then Madam Chang delivered a 45-minute address pleading her country's case and thanking America for its leadership. We shall not permit aggression to raise its satanic head and threaten man's greatest heritage, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all peoples. So what role was given to Anna Mae Wong? They didn't invite her. They didn't invite her, and this goes to sort of China's view of Anna Mae. So if you think of her first her own family, that could be proud of her for her accomplishments, but also a little embarrassed about her for the nudity and the, some of the roles she played. In China, you have the same thing only on a much larger scale. So people, they were kind of proud of her, but at the same time, they felt she was perpetuating negative stereotypes about Chinese women in particular. That must have been humiliating. Humiliating, humiliating. She raised a lot of money for them, and yeah. also she—I know she was very hurt. My husband told me about that. This is Carol Wong again. She was married to Anna May's late brother Richard for almost fifty years. She says she was very hurt, but she said nothing she can do about that. But she had told your husband about being disappointed about oh, the Hollywood yes. Bowl. Mm, yes, he can see it too. You know what can he do? I guess it's comfort each other. But she never let that bother her. Once more, Anna Mae Wong soldiered on along her singular path. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. With the advent of television, Anna Mae Wong saw new opportunities. 
a lot of female film stars, as they got older in the 1950s, began to participate in television shows as a way to recycle their acting careers. From Television City in Hollywood. That was a way that she was able to still remain in the public eye. In 1951, she starred in The Gallery of Madame Lu Tsong, making her the first Chinese-American to star in a TV show. The show aired on the erstwhile Dumont Television Network. No footage survives since the network's archive was dumped into the East River in the 1970s. But the reviews survive, and they weren't pretty. One reads... It is suspected that even if Miss Wong were given a sound script, she would still sound like an attractive Oriental girl who has been thoroughly Americanized. That's a weird critique because you're basically saying, why aren't you more foreign? That's sort of like, well, what do they even know about what it means to be Chinese? Margaret Cho has some experience with those kinds of criticisms. She followed in Anna Mae Wong's TV footsteps when in 1994 she became the second Asian-American woman and the first Korean-American to headline a series when the sitcom All-American Girl premiered on ABC. So tell me about the real you. Okay. Well, for one thing, when I hear a joke, I don't do this. I laugh more like this. (laughs) In her case, she turned out to be too much of an all-American girl for some in the Korean-American community. When I was doing All-American Girl, it was very difficult because the Korean community in America had just been through the L.A. riots. And so they were hyper-concerned, hyper-aware of their public image. They wanted to really strictly control what was being said about them. And so when I came along as a very foul-mouthed comedian, as a woman, as, um, you know, somebody who was talking about gay rights, somebody who was talking about sexuality, it really destroyed this sort of image of what Koreans had of themselves. And so it was very difficult to get their support. All-American Girl was canceled after one season. Um, I don't know if you can reduce it to this, but when you did the sitcom, did you feel more pressure from the Korean side or more pressure from, let's call it the white American side? I think that I was just caught. Caught certainly describes Anna Mae Wong. It seems that when she wasn't too Chinese, she wasn't Chinese enough. Still, she kept on hustling for work now as a character actress. Here she is as China Mary in an episode of Wyatt Earp. They have broken the law and they must be punished. They will be in my way. I cannot agree to that. Then find them yourself. By the 1950s, she was well past her Hollywood prime, but she wasn't alone. She was part of a tight-knit Chinese-American community in Los Angeles. Did your father play poker with yep. her? Yeah, my dad used to go over and play poker. He was a teenager, you know, and he'd go over to the, the apartment in Santa Monica and they'd play poker and they'd, they'd drink. Lisa C.'s grandparents and parents were friends with Anna Mae Wong. My dad, when I called him the other day to say we were doing this, he was like, oh, yeah, you know, we used to go over there. And I'd say, well, you know, what happened then? And he'd say, oh, I don't know, we were drinking so much, I don't remember. <laughs> 
it was a fun place for him. And he'd go over with his buddies, and she always had room at the table, and they'd play poker and get drunk. But Anna May's health was beginning to falter. Letters she wrote to her dear friends Carl Van Vechten, the same man who had photographed her years before, and his wife, Vania Marinoff, suggest she was suffering from liver disease, perhaps cirrhosis. My doctor insisted I come here to rest and continue treatments until a complete recovery is effected. He said the eight pints of blood they poured into me at the hospital was just a temporary crutch to tide me over, and he wasn't going to dig me out of the grave again. I've done a great deal of thinking while laid up, and I'm going to overcome the habit of worrying all the time about things that are not worth the bother. With best love always, Anna May. She was in and out of hospitals during that decade, sometimes for lengthy stays, at a time when money was tight. The hospital and sanitarium expenses were pretty steep, so in between times, I'm still trying to dispose of a few pieces of good jewelry to pay off everything owing. In her letters, she's increasingly introspective, even spiritual. Have you by any chance read a book that came out last year? The Power of Positive Thinking. I have read it several times and find that it is a great help in many ways, especially ridding oneself of nervous tensions and having the right attitude towards what appears to be colossal problems. At home, her youngest brother Richard, Amy's father, watched over her and fiercely guarded her privacy. My daddy actually was really one of the closest relatives to her and took care of her, especially in her later years. He had information and stories and knowledge about her, but he never wanted to expose that because he was afraid that it would be taken the wrong way or used in the wrong light. Amy and her mother Carol share some details of Anna Mae's home life. Nobody know about she do a lot of knitting. A lot of knitting? Uh Uh-huh. She knit uh, my husband's sweater. Yes. I'm still keeping it. That's kind of a big deal to knit a sweater. And she obviously was a style icon. So this sweater is a handmade knitted sweater. <laughs> but we still have it. Have you worn it? No. What color was the sweater that she knit? Blue. blue. Like a blue. bright royal blue. Oh. Mm-hmm. Carol married Richard in 1963. And when their two daughters were born, they named them Anna Mae Wong and Amy May Wong. Luckily, I did escape the curse of possibly being April May Wong. <laughs> in 1960, Anna May Wong played a supporting role in Portrait in Black with Lana Turner. Well, these past few days, you've been acting rather strangely. In what way? I feel you've been deliberately avoiding me. No, of course not, Mrs. Cabot. I'm sorry if I gave you that impression. It was praised as a lovely comeback role. And she wrote to her friends with some exciting news. Dearest Fania and Carlos, Ross Hunter, the producer of Portrait in Black, told me he has just purchased film rights to Flower Drum Song and that I am to play one of the leads. But this will not go into production until February 1961. Continue to keep well and happy and interestingly occupied. Bless you both. Love, Anna May. A hundred media miracles. 
flower drum song, the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical set in San Francisco's Chinatown. You can't have a new way of living till you're living all the way on Fred Avenue. Would feature a predominantly Asian-American cast. Here's Rosalind Chow again. The Flower Drum Song was another first. It was another landmark, much in the way that Joy Luck Club was a landmark. And Crazy Rich Asians. Chop suey, chop suey. And, you know, in Flower Drum Song, in that song, Chop Suey, the fact that they rhyme nuclear war with Zsa Zsa Gabor. <laughs> the fact that you remember that is even funnier to me. <laughs> it's, those lyrics are fantastic. But I sh- we should point out, if you didn't know this, you know, Juanita Hall, her father was African-American, her mother was white, ended up playing the role, I always forget the name of the role, the, the oh, Auntie Leong. Auntie Leong, yeah. And that role was going to be played by Anna Mae Wong. Oh! <gasps> Oh, I didn't know that. When Anna Mae Wong died or did she die? or Oh, oh my goodness. I had no idea. So she died just before she could have had this big break. Anna Mae Wong died of a heart attack on February 3rd, 1961, at the age of 56. Her New York Times obituary hailed her as one of the most unforgettable figures of Hollywood's greatest days. Again, Carol and Amy Wong. She was like a cold. My husband, he's gone to work. When he come home, he found her passed on. And she was reading the script. She was reading the script. The Flower Drum song. When, when she died. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to think, boy, what a great comeback that would have been for her. Yeah, she would do a great job on that. I wonder what she would have done had she lived past 56. I mean, that's so young. In the decades after she died, as the civil rights movement raised consciousness among Asian Americans, Anna Mae Wong wasn't celebrated. Lisa C. says she once again became a source of shame. I think she was blamed for a lot of the stereotypes that then continued to exist, these kind of iconic things that she had set up. You know, one the temptress and the other this sort of the dragon lady. And people saw her as the person who created those stereotypes. But today, she's remembered as someone who boldly went where no one had before. She became a star without any role models. As a young girl, she sat in the balcony of a movie palace, looked at the silver screen, and imagined a place for herself. I want to thank the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce and the Walk of Fame Committee. In May 2019, Lucy Liu became the second Asian-American actress to have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I truly feel humbled. In her remarks, Liu paid homage to the first, Anna Mae Wong. So a hundred years ago, she was a pioneer while enduring racism, marginalization, and exclusion. We could actually start our own little Chinatown right here. (laughs) From silent pictures to the talkies, on stage and then on TV, through sheer force of will, charisma, and talent, Anna Mae Wong became a first. 
and for an astonishingly long time was an only. She did it, and she did it despite everything that was going on around her. I think in many ways it was a lonely life, but she also surrounded herself with wonderful friends. I think she paid a price in life and then in death, and now it's just nice to see this kind of acknowledgement uh, and recognition for really what she accomplished. I certainly hope you enjoyed this mobituary. May I ask you to please rate and review our podcast? You can also follow mobituaries on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at Moraka. You can subscribe to mobituaries wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Mobituaries was produced by Kay Lim. Our team of producers also includes Megan Marcus and me, Mo Rocca. It was edited by George Pozderak and engineered by Dan DeZula. Indispensable support from Gideon Evans, Genius Dineski, Sam Egan, Richard Rohrer, and everyone at CBS News Radio. Special thanks to David Henry Huang, B.B. Wong, Reed Orvidal, Leslie Leong, and the FCE One Company, and to the great Jennifer Lim, who voiced the words of Anime Wong for us. Our theme music is written by Daniel Hart, and as always, undying thanks to Rand Morrison and John Carp, without whom mobituaries couldn't live. Hi, it's Mo. If you're enjoying Mobituaries the Podcast, may I invite you to check out Mobituaries the Book. It's chock full of stories not in the podcast. Celebrities who put their butts on the line, sports teams that threw in the towel for good, forgotten fashions, defunct diagnoses, presidential candidacies that cratered, whole countries that went kaput, and dragons. Yes, dragons. You see, people used to believe that dragons were real until... Just get the book. You can order Mobituaries, the book, from any online bookseller or stop by your local bookstore. And look for me when I come to your city. Tour information and lots more at mobituaries.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.